Hi, I'm Ethan Siegel, and I took a left at the valley. I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists, you know, we don't have non-astrologers and all that, but with the religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen, I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims, that's something to be ashamed, I'm an Coming at you from Christian Hell, this is Left of the Valley. My name is Kevin, and when Halloween comes around, parents send out their kids looking like me. Uh, yep. <laughs> Joining me as usual is the team that found out how to look thin, they just hang with fat people. <laughs> she drinks too much, she gave a urine sample and had an olive in it, Nancy. I'm, I'm speechless again. There's just, there's just too many raunchy things going through my mind that you can't say, even on a podcast. She could tell her parents hated her. Her bath toys was, was a toaster and a radio. Christina. Oh, so true. So, or, or yeah, no, I'm not going to go with that then. Yeah. And Basically. food has replaced sex in her life to the point that she's put a mirror over the kitchen table. Kristen. <laughs> Uh, guys, welcome back. Hope you had a great week. Those are good intros. <laughs> I had a great week. Somehow, somehow, I thought you might be a little more mature today because. Oh boy, are you wrong? Because <laughs> because today is such a special day for you and for the for the rest of us. We're we're celebrating your birthday. Oh, that's right. Today. Yeah, I guess yeah, I, absolutely. I you, play the birthday you have traversed the universe one more time. Uh, yes, yeah. I have one more rotation. Not the universe, the solar yeah. system. Yes, and, the universe. It's, and it's special. <laughs> and why is it special for today, Mr. Kevin? Because Just because it's my birthday. It's always special. And your birthday numbers are... I'm encouraging okay. you to tell the story. <laughs> I don't, I don't, Come on, we gotta go here's, for the story. here's a little thing you might not know about me. Uh, every time I see a psychic or uh, somebody that can read poems, something like that, I tell them something about me. What you might not know is I was born on the seventh day of the fourth month, 74, at 747. And whenever I tell them that, they, their eyes go wide open, and then they grab my hand, and they say, I've got some special destiny or something. <laughs> yeah, I'm a podcast. Just That's if you a were, special destiny. Just if you were the seventh son of the seventh son. Exactly. Something <laughs> like that, right? So, yeah, that's, well, that's correct. We, we hope we make it all the way through the show before you ascend into the, <laughs> <laughs> into the netherworld. Chances are. Oh, no, the netherworld is that's the down. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody no, will have to grab the console <laughs> well, thank you, ladies. I appreciate that. Yeah. So, so today we're going to have a great show because we'll be talking to singer-songwriter Shelly Siegel. Ooh, looking mm, forward to that. Great voice, a great mm-hmm. voice. Uh, but first, let's do a bit of chit-chat. Hey, you guys heard about Pope Frank? Mm. What is it? What new happened? I've well, heard he, this. he had the Vatican scramble after he told an Italian journalist that hell doesn't exist. <gasps> Seriously? <laughs> when I he was him. asked where do bad souls go, he said, quote, Well, they're not punished. Those who repent are forgiven. But those who do not disappear. A hell doesn't exist. Oh, my gosh. Oh. That, that's, that's almost worse because you're no longer existing. You just poof. That, no, that's better. That is so much better. Yeah, and, tort- and being tortured uh, for in the lake of fire. Yeah, I but would agree. That, but that's now to so spr- much different than the- what they norm, like what their history has said. Mm-hmm. Like that. That's like how does he? How is he going to get away with that in their in their religion? But they have to go with what he says because he's the pope. Yeah, exactly, exactly. 
Well, that's going to make some interesting, um, newsworthy speeches, and yeah. and, and uh, what do they call? What is what do they call when the the Pope comes out? I have no They're idea. not canons when he comes out with a, a uh, declaration directive. Yeah, they're, <laughs> I forget what the, the name. I of have them no are. idea. Yeah, yeah. I I, I didn't grow up Catholic, yeah. so I don't know these things. Yeah, well, well, I didn't either, even, but I know that there's a know. certain yeah, there's I a know, certain right? word for not not, not ecclesi- ecclesiasticals. I don't know what they are, but whatever it is, it'll be interesting. Yeah. So now the Vatican is scrambling, of course, to <laughs> change yeah. the narrative. Understandable. You got to give that about Pope Frank. I mean, at least he's entertaining in that sense. He's got like he's kind of putting his foot in his mouth in a good way <laughs> yeah but now you can't scare little children by telling them you do that one more time you're going to hell that's right because they're gonna get well now, the pope now, says it doesn't now exist just if, just if he would deal with that pedophilia problem in the church yeah yeah <laughs> now that you've settled that <laughs> to more pressing problems did you guys hear about canada's next astronaut no he's the next guy to go up in space his name is david saint-jacques he's from quebec now, this guy, he's amazing. He's an engineer, he was a physician, and he's an astrophysicist. Holy shit. Oh, my. Wow. Is many... he, like, 100? No, no. Oh, he talk was... about a wasted youth. <laughs> he, was, he was also a commercial <laughs> pilot, and he speaks five languages. Holy cow. You know, I'm just going to sit in the corner wow. here and eat paste right now, because this, I just, I can't even tie the guy's wow. shoes. I'm sorry. No. I, I think he is actually ticking off his bucket list, guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, Ooh. it's going to be interesting to see what, wow. what, what happens to this guy Tim Hortons mm. if I say Timmy's you guys know exactly what I'm talking yep. about iconic Timmy's what Anyth- happened to Timmy's is there anything more iconic than Tim Hortons in Canada well maple maybe <laughs> Tim Horton was actually ranked fourth across Canada uh, as far as brand reputation right that was last year this year they went down to 50th whoa <gasps> why remember a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the dis- that the franchise dispute yeah. over minimum wage oh yeah, yeah. bam no. Yeah. yeah uh, 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 un- unbelievable. Do you think that uh, they're going to? That's just temporary. And once they get, all I don't this know. Settled? I don't know. It's it's obviously a backlash from all of the all Canadians uh, because right now they've taken a hell of a tumble. Their stock since October, their brand stock has lost sixteen percent of its value. Uh, and if you're uh, wondering about the, uh, the the companies that are more most recognized by the Canadian public across yeah. Canada, it's Google, uh, Shoppers Drug Mart, and Canadian Tire. Which is after 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 that's followed by Sony, Samsung, Microsoft, Dollarama, Kellogg's, Campbell, and Kraft. One well, that's really happy. Apple is not in the top. <laughs> well, you, you'd never know it by our local Tim's because oh, every time you walk in, there's still a zillion people coming and going buying Tim. Bits it's annoying and- when you're trying to buy lunch at lunchtime. It's like, mm. and I'm here for yeah. half an hour. Fuck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just to order. Um. Choose your Timmy's wisely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Nancy, you'll, you'll, I'm sure you'll have an opinion on this. The uh, Trump trade war with China oh. is escalating. <gasps> now, this tur- tur- uh, it started out, a, he wanted to impose a 25% duty on about $50 billion of imports from China. China decided to list, uh, in return, $50 billion of products. What did he hide. think was going to happen? Yeah, exactly. Well, no, <laughs> he decided that in, in, in his, his orange uh, wisdom, <laughs> he decided to uh, list another $100 Oh, billion my gosh, he's so stupid. ...of products. I mean, he likes a fight. He doesn't understand <sighs> no. consequences. Yeah. He really doesn't understand the, the global economy. And does he not realize that China 
has more export than America. They no. can take more of a beating. No, well, no, because he, he's the one that said that there was a deficit in the U.S. with trade from Canada when there's actually a surplus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, he understands. Not, he wants to fight. Oh he gosh. wants to just be that's the bull. It, no, it doesn't affect him bull. personally. That's right, right. And then they're going to bring in the new person that's like, yeah, we should attack North Korea. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, the experts are saying that the trade war with China might actually weaken the Canadian loony. And we might be the ones that end up paying for it's part just it's it, it, and the Republicans and the evangelicals sometimes a little of both or they cross over. They're just standing there saying, "We don't care as long as he keeps the agenda, our agenda yeah, going. Exactly. He can do all." That. And they're just letting the country go down the drain. It's circling the drain. Oh, oh well, we'll have to. But don't get me started. Yeah, and you know, I, I don't understand that because they, they don't seem to understand that you know China all uh, holds what it's over one point four trillion dollar in American debt. Uh-huh. So what do you think China, if China decides? Oh, you know what? We're just going to recall the debt. What do you think is going to happen there? Um, and America can't pay, so now they're yeah. going to go to war. Are you kidding me? Is, is the, the, over over Trump decided all of a sudden he's just going to do a pissing contest with China for for the hell of it. No, I just wonder if he, I mean, he's crossed so many lines, there are no lines anymore, but I really wonder if things look as though they're absolutely on the brink, when things like, if Congress will step in and refuse, now he can do trade, he can do trade policy on his own, he doesn't need Congress, but... Um, Starting an actual international war? <laughs> but, but if it gets to that point, I really wonder whether or not the, the Congress will step in or they'll say the 25th Amendment, the man is just an absolute Lost cuckoo his crackpot mind? Mm-hmm. And, and stop him. Cuckoo crackpot, that's a technical a cuckoo term. Right? Cra- it's a very, it yes. Fits. It fits. Yes. Psychotherapy 101, cuckoo crackpot. Well, let's finish with some good news. In Alberta, the first adult woman... Uh, was was cured from sickle cell anemia. Whoa, seriously? Yes, uh, which was done through stem cell transplant. Uh, her name is Reve. I'm going to master this. Agiopong of Edmonton. Uh, her sister donated cells. And uh, the sickle steel, uh, if you're not familiar with sickle steel, mm-hmm. uh, it, ch- it changes the, the shape of your uh, red blood cells and being a nice round, they look more like a like a crescent, right? And has a nasty tendency to block blood vessels, of course, which of course then affects your organs and you lose energy and all that stuff. Um, two years ago, the Alberta Children's Hospital uh, successfully treated children because children have a tendency the, uh, the, to not reject... Yeah, uh, the immune, they bounce back immune, easier. Yeah, and the immune rejection is is less as well. So they decided to try this on her. She's 26, so she's an adult. And uh, you, you have more chance to reject the treatment as an adult. And it, it was successful. So oh, that, way to go. That is so awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So... There's a lot of good research Ooh, that science. goes on. And I don't think that, I don't think that people realize how much good medical research is done in Canada. Mm-hmm, and really, a lot. You know, uh, they, they've taken the leadership in a lot of ways in in many fields. I mean, Canada. The uh, researchers in Canada were the first to do insulin. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, researchers right. in Canada so underrated. Yeah. <laughs> It's because we're we're not bo- boasting about it yeah, that that's, much. That's exactly why. <laughs> yeah, we're, uh, we're focusing like, on what, our research. We're just like, and check, okay, we got that. Okay, next thing, let's go, guys. <laughs> <laughs> My dear Nancy, cancer. <laughs> you have a top ten for us? 
I do. I have sort of a quirky one today, but I think it'll they're be... They're always quirky. And they're always quirky. Yeah, this one I thought it would be fun to um, see the top ten mystery movies of all times. Ooh. Yeah. So... I wonder how many of these I've actually seen. Probably not very many. Let's, well, <laughs> well, we'll see here. We'll start with number 10. Believe it or not, is a fairly recent one, Argo. Did anyone see Argo? I did Argo? see Argo. I didn't. Did, oh, it was wonderful. It had to do with the... Ex- uh, uh, except except the, it was... Uh, it was not very accurate in many aspects. No. Especially considering the Canadian... Mostly the the, the the key in help for the uh, Argo, by the way, is the uh, when they had that uh, hostage situation in, in Iran. In oh, the and then we like mm-hmm. snuck them out as like a yes, film crew. as a film crew. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And of course, it, was, it played Ben Affleck, and you know he comes in and America number one, America number one. But you know what? That's not <laughs> oh really how gosh. it happened. It was mostly Canadian effort, actually. Yeah, yeah it and it, it, it had to do with the ambassador Ken Taylor at the at the time. That's quite it correct. was a wonderful. John Goodman was fabulous in it. I, it. To me, it's not that much of a mystery movie, but it, this is the list from Rotten Tomatoes, mm-hmm. and Rotten Tomatoes says it's number ten. So we'll go with it. Kangaroo with the Rotten Number Tomato. nine of all time from 1941, The Maltese Falcon. Oh wow! A classic. I have not seen that either. You know, oh, it is just an absolute. Classic Humphrey Bogart, Peter Laurie, Sidney Greenstreet, uh, the, the, one of the greatest casts ever assembled for that for that time, and it just it's just a classic, and it, it's it's worth seeing. It's black and white, of course, but uh, it really it, have you seen it? Kevin? No, I have not actually. Oh, I, I know of it, I've heard of it, but I've never. You're such a movie. That. You're a movie buff. Yeah, but yeah. I, I I haven't seen the stupid movies of my era, unfortunately. I yeah. don't I don't usually go back in the far past. Well, you'll get lost in the plot because there are some big holes in it. But it's the acting mm-hmm. it, uh, and the um, the way the movie is, is put together. It's, it's it, the direction is is fabulous. Number eight, another oldie, North by Northwest. That comes on the anybody ever. I seen? haven't seen that one. Either. Oh, oh boy, that's a Hitchcock <laughs> movie with Cary Grant, mm. and the way you might. Remember North by Northwest, just kind of like a spy movie, is the the scene where Cary Grant is um, out in the uh, in a field and a plane just buzzes over his head and he's forced flat. I'm seeing deer in the headlights no. as I'm looking, <laughs> but it's a it's a wonder. These are all classic movies that you that I'm sure are somewhere on um, on, on Netflix or somewhere mm-hmm. where you can get some old movies if and not, they're really worth watching. If you not familiar with the movie itself, you'll be familiar with the scenes because the scenes are often reproduced in pop culture. Yeah, uh, you'll see okay. you'll see that airplane diving scene in The Simpsons, for example. Uh, you know, nice. this buzz over something. Number seven, another Hitchcock movie, Psycho. Oh which, yes. I haven't seen, seen that one either. What? Oh. <laughs> Oh, oh come on! I I watched more like action, like Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. Oh, yeah, <laughs> growing Jan- up, <laughs> Janet Lee and and Anthony Perkins and people for who saw them women mostly were afraid to take a shower for for a week they wouldn't take a shower unless they you know they, if, if the house if there's nobody in the house they were it was so scary it yes. was really a, more of a horror move than a mystery but and the music from there is often used you know mm-hmm. for other scary uh, parodies of one kind or another yeah the uh the, the black and white movie is obviously a classic and um 
little known fact, the uh, the blood, you know, the scene where the blood goes yeah. into the drain, it was not actually blood. It was not even red, actually. It was more of a brownish color. Yeah, because it's uh, black and white. Yeah, yeah, it was black and white, but you don't know that in a black and white movie, right? Yeah. I feel as though I'm doing foreign movies because these, so many of these gold classics are foreign to you guys. The sixth one, I know no one's going to recognize, but maybe there's some, some old oldies or classic movie buffs that remember the movie Laura, which was just a fabulous movie. Gene Tierney, Clifton Webb, Dana Andrews. He plays a detective who falls in love with a picture of Gene Tierney. Weird. And so he saw, he wants to solve this mystery oh. because he falls in love with her. Beautifully done. Uh, Clifton Webb is magnificent in their um, oldies. Yeah, but it, put that on your list. Okay. Now this one, Kevin. You are going to say, yes, I remember, Spotlight. Oh, of course. It, yeah. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, one of the best. Yeah, that one of the Academy. Mark uh, Ruffalo, Michael mm-hmm. Keaton it had to do I've with heard the, great things about it. Yeah, it had to do with the Boston Globe. I know. Uh, yeah, I, I, have a sister, I have a sister who goes to Catholic Church, and she's she's paranoid about Disney because she's like, oh, they're like pedophiles. And I'm like, uh, you go to a Catholic Church. Yeah, I'm like, have you seen this movie? <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a Spotlight was a very good. That movie. was a Michael Keaton. You know, was always an excellent actor. Yeah, we had we had quite a oh yes good time watching that one and talking about it for, for a while after. Okay, here's another one that you really have to see. You you just have to see it, and it's made in 1920 and it's called The Cabinet of Dr. Calgary and it was the German expressionist film. It's just pure creepy and it was done in the sort of postmodern film techniques with the different angles mm-hmm. and close-ups and it is just the creepiest that movie sounds ever really seen. interesting. Yeah, it started it was it was pre-Nazi. It sort of foretold in some ways, you know, the rise the rise of Hitler, but it it um, influenced a lot of movies that were made in the United States after that. Mises Bet is a silent movie, so put that on put that on your must see list okay. just for the technique of how that movie was made. And if you look it up in Wikipedia, it'll tell you exactly everything, how it was written, who made it, why, the acting, everything. It's just hmm. a yeah, it's a it's a cult film to end all, and it's it's often the first film that students will see when. They take any uh, film classes, yeah. yeah, classic films. Um, number three, an Orson Welles film called The Third Man. I know Sometimes Orson Welles, but I don't, think I've, seen that. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think I've, I've seen that one. It's a yeah, it, it Joseph Cotton and Orson Welles, and there again, it's filmed in that Orson Welles. Uh, the, the different angles and mm-hmm. shadows, beautifully made film um, that was in 1949. So, it, but it, it had to do with uh, World War II, the aftermath of World War II. Number two, everybody ought. I better have everybody say, "I know this one." Get out. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, but you know, I what? want to see it. Get out. That's, so yeah, that's bad. It just came out. Get out was written by Jordan Peele. Who's it's apparently Peele just amazing. Keith. Yeah, it's supposed to be amazing. It's mm. a it's a horror film, but it's the horror film that yeah. has to do with with I, the, the black black and white yeah. tensions. And the, the, okay, just, I the reason I don't really like mysteries is because like I, I'm not good with like suspense. So I actually know everything that happens in Get Out already because I watched uh-huh. all the spoilers and everything. Well, yeah. what did you watch the spoilers for? I, I don't like going into movies not knowing what's going to happen. 
unless it's like an action movie. <laughs> but like a mystery and stuff, I just I don't like. I get really my anxiety gets really bad. Like not like oh my gosh, what's gonna happen? And I like you're that kid that would ruin Scooby Doo, weren't you? Yeah, you would. <laughs> yeah, I would. Yeah, no, but but everything I've heard about Get Out, it's uh, it's a gripping and like it's one hundred percent should watch. Okay, number one, we're gonna go back, and this is sort of a history, a history for you know for for people who who like film but don't know <laughs> anything about it. The number one all time mystery is Citizen Kane. Oh, of course, I, I haven't seen that either. Yeah, <laughs> but I've heard Rosebud. of it. <laughs> yeah, well, it was actually based on William Randolph Hearst, and it has to do with. Um, uh, Orson Welles as, as Kane, who is power power yeah. hungry. It's a beautifully beautifully done. Film. Spoiler alert: Rosebud is the name of his sled. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, remember yes. the word Rosebud. Rosebud. Anyway, so that's Rotten Tomatoes. What's anybody got a favorite mystery film that? Um, oh, I don't like. I said I don't really watch mysteries. Yeah. I'm, I yeah. So I, I don't even. Can't even remember a mystery I've watched. Yeah. I'm just kind of getting into yeah. the whole, getting into mysteries and stuff I, I like think, that more now. I think the only mysteries I've really watched are like in TV shows, like in crime shows and stuff. Yeah. They have mysteries in them, but I've never really watched something specifically because they're trying to like a mystery. I'm like, nah. Yeah. A, a, a great mystery is also one that has a great plot twist in there somewhere. Yeah. If, if you get one of those you never see coming, it's like, oh my God, you never saw that coming. Yeah. That, that, I think one of, one of the ones that they didn't mention in here that has that great plot twist is u- The Usual Suspects. Oh, yes, of course. Was, yeah. Of course, yes. Of course, Murder I'm actually on, surprised it's not in there. Yeah, Murder on the Orient Express mm-hmm. had, a, had I'm reading that right now because I want to read it before I watch the movie. Nobody. No. No spoilers. No. Well, Agatha Christie was one of the greatest, you know, uh, British crime writers. I'm so excited. Hercule Poirot. Hercule Poirot, yes. And uh, Miss Miss Marple. Miss Marple, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so those those are the ones... The Orient Express is a train. So anyway, I I hope I've uh, motivated or encouraged people to kind of, you know, look at uh, some of the older Mm -hmm. films and uh, understand... It's really interesting that the, the... the older films have yeah. stood the test of time and continue to be like some of the best mysteries. Yeah, yeah because you have to understand you know, the history, the history of film, and so many of these when mm-hmm. it had the right director, the right cast, and, the right and then script, there's Get Out. They were fabulous. Well, movies back then was an art. Today, it's more of a mm-hmm. like a lot, like a lot of things about making a buck and yeah. And it, it shows, it shows. You have some great yeah. movies that are still coming out, but they're few and far in between compared to all the junk. I mean, the yeah, we saw the Emoji movie last year. Um, I mean, really? No. I mean, we, we do not speak of that. Do you think Orson Welles is spinning in his grave when he thinks of the Emoji movie? Yeah, yeah, he yeah. told me. Well, you know why? It's because things back then were built to last. Well, they were, you know, you, you made a movie and usually it was one thing. You know, today they make movies hoping to make at least a trilogy. Also, wouldn't it have been a lot harder? There's a lot more that would go into it. Yes. Yeah. Now you have, oh, click. Yeah. Well, CGI effects are good when oh, they're yeah. used sporadically. Oh, if the gosh, entire movie know, is CGI, right? you can totally see it. The, uh, it's, in, it's insane watching. There's um, there's a version of Beauty and the Beast that is it's French. It's made. It was made in France. Is it black and white? No, it's not. It's it's oh. a new movie. It, it's like from 2015. Okay. But all the almost all of the effects are practical, mm-hmm. and it is it's stunning. Yeah. Like the beast is practical effects, yeah. and it's just like 
comparing that to like the Disney one that just came out recently, it's like unquestionable which one is better because it's like CGI. It just can't. It can't reach the same level as practical. Exactly. It's like the difference between Lord of the Rings movies and The Hobbit. It's like, yeah, no. Why didn't you? Even eventually, effects? CGI gets too much. Exactly. I, I like to usually refer to one of my favorite movies, which was the original Jurassic Park. Of course, a yeah. movie that's still and this is 1994 and still, you know, uh, takes your breath away. Four, 15 years later, it still stands up as a very good movie. And the dinosaurs, you have some practical effects and some CGI. The two of them are mixed and. It's fantastic. It still stands up. Mm-hmm, definitely. The, well, my my favorite era for movies is the forties. Some some of the thirties, but the forties. And when you see some of those and how they stand up, mm. you know, through through the generations, you can just appreciate, you know, the the mm-hmm. talent and the hard work that that went into making them. People don't know that Nancy taught the frère Lumière how to make uh, movie cameras, <laughs> and before that, she used to carve hieroglyphs. hieroglyphs. Yes. In Egypt, so way better, way better now. Yeah. All right. Anyway, so that was that was that was kind of fun. I hope. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thank you for the list, mm-hmm. my dear Nancy. All right, ladies, what are we doing now? Another brilliant moment brought to you by religion. Mm-hmm. All right, our fun segment we always love. A couple of stories. A Nashville pastor who spoke out against gay rights has been arrested. Whoa. Oh really? gosh! Ta- and, oh, I'm uh, and charged with eight counts of aggravated sexual battery for molesting children uh, at his church. Can, can, can I just say how bad it is that I was like one arrested? I'm like, oh god, it's to do with children. Well, of course it is. <laughs> of course, it's uh, coming a mile away, right? According to multiple report, Pastor Matthew Dennis Denny Patterson was arrested for molesting multiple children, almost all little boys, at his church. Oh my gosh! The gosh, people Nullinsville stop it. Road Baptist Church in Nashville, Tennessee. What? Why? Okay, when someone becomes a pastor, can't they just automatically have, like, have to, like, check in with the police <laughs> periodically? <laughs> kind of makes you wondering. Um, uh. Some of the newspapers reported that the children of the church told adult members that Patterson had asked them to sit on his face and stomach, sometimes in their underwear, according to a police statement. Uh. And of course, this is this is uh, Pastor Patterson's got a lot of anti-gay so, activities. So did did all these children say at the same time, or did some of these adults were told by the children and not immediately report? It doesn't say. It doesn't say. But apparently, this happened over a uh, course of about twenty years. Oh my god! Yeah. So this People is the suck. first time that Patterson's <laughs> have been, been to news in two thousand three, when the city council was considering adding sexual orientation to the local anti-discrimination law. He vocally opposed it. Of course, he did. Ugh. "Quote: We want to make sure to keep the pressure on them. Let them know that any time they bring this up, we will be down here to oppose it." He told a Tennessean in two thousand three. Oh, uh, yeah. So is he going to jail? Uh, he will be for Good. sure. <laughs> the Patterson's bond has been set at a criminal course uh, by a criminal courses at a hundred thousand dollars at this point. That is not high enough. Yeah, well, I mean, hopefully, just the money to get out of there. No, I mean, it, money shouldn't even enter into. I mean, I, I can understand it. It's not money. The, the man is sick, and he needs to go to jail or counseling and kept away from civilized humanity for yeah. years and years and years. The Baptist Church describes itself as an independent fundamental Baptist Church which cites the Bible as the only authority for faith and practice, belief in the sinful nature of man, biblical family roles, and local church autonomy. 
You know, I thought I saw that. Isn't that the, the 11th commandment? Thou shall have some kits sit on your face? That's... <laughs> Pretty sure. All right, here's another story. Well, you know what? If it's wrong, I don't want to be right. Conservative Christian activist Dave Delbenmeyer <laughs> warns that masturbation is wrong because masturbation is homosexuality. Boy. So Dobenmeyer recently discussed the pressing issue of masturbation on his Past Assault Live webcast. Bitch, he was passing something else, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Arguing that masturbation is wrong because it's really a form of homosexuality. On his program, Dobenmeyer declared, You just gotta say no, as hard as it is. Yes, I'm sure it was very So hard. does that mean all <laughs> men are homosexual? And all women are homosexuals as well. Apparently. Yes. If you're very honest about it, masturbation is homosexuality. You're having sex with a man. You're putting images of a woman in your mind, but you're having sex with a man. If it's where the devil will take us if you give him free range on your minds. You just gotta say no to it, as hard as it is. You really, as hard as it is. Yeah, it was it, very hard too. Yeah. Yeah. As hard as it is. I mean, you have to you have to realize that this guy is struggling with masturbation himself, and that's why he's. Maybe you should just word it differently. You know, I'll bet this guy is obviously a porn again Christian. Yeah, porn. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh. Okay, here's another story. That's a T-shirt. <laughs> porn again Christian. I love that. That's a T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Pat Robinson, the man most uh, voted most likely to be mistaken for King Tut, <laughs> believes he's being dominated by homosexuals. What? Yep. Yeah, apparently Pat's in the S&M do, do, Does he have his own red room? <laughs> <laughs> he's got to use a safe word. Cinnamon. Cinnamon, Pat. Use cinnamon. Yeah. <laughs> and he worries that gays and lesbians control the culture. Oh, my God. Appearing on his program, The 700 Club, earlier this week, the televangelist went on a rant about a supposed left-wing bias in the media, blaming the supposed <laughs> bias on gays and lesbians. Robinson declared, We have given... Oh, sorry. We should do this in Robinson. We have given ground to a small minority. I, I, I don't know what you're saying right now. You can hear me? I'm no. Pat Robinson. <laughs> You figure lesbians are 1% of the population and homosexuals are 2% of the population. That's all. That's statistically all. But they have dominated the media. They've dominated the cultural shift and have infiltrated the major universities. It's just unbelievable what's being done. A tiny, tiny minority makes a huge difference. Well, of course, he's wrong, as usual. Is there such a thing as an atheist exorcism? Because we've got to, <laughs> we've got to get that out of you. If there isn't, we can make it up. You don't, like, make it you, up. You don't like my Robinson voice? Come no, it's too good. That's oh, what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, Robinson is wrong, as usual. The numbers actually refute any claim that the media is being dominated by gays and lesbians. According to the uh, latest Where Are We on TV reports, only about 4.8% of television roles are LGBTQ characters. And the actual number of gay and lesbian Americans, uh, no one exactly knows what it is, but percentage of Americans identify as lesbian or gay because of the U.S. government doesn't capture sexual orientation in the census. And it won't through on all the way to 2020. Uh, we all have the SMS, however, a, a new survey revealed the numbers could be as high as 12%. <laughs> so, uh, commenting on the story, our friend Hemant Mena of the Friendly Atheist explains that what's really bothering Robertson are those conservative Christians who think like Pat Robertson. When Robertson talks about the LGBTQ people dominating the culture shift, he's really referring to the fact that people that people no longer have an automatic revulsion to them. 
in, th- in his world, acting on one's homosexuality, homosexuality is an unforgivable sin. Outside his bubble, though, more and more people don't give a damn. Live and then live. Don't worry what about other what other people do in the privacy of their bedroom. Hemin is actually right. Yeah, I mean, they take that fear away, and there goes the evangelical mm-hmm. movement. Slowly, slowly, slowly. You know, as it's, soon as people say oblivion. gay people, they don't jump on chairs like they've it's seen It's really right? crazy when you look at how much fear is controlling these people. Oh, yeah, it's absolutely nuts. Mm-hmm. Okay. But they need that. I mean, yeah. there, there has to be, you know, some enemy that, that needs to be conquered. Yep. And the only way you conquer them is by more Christianity, Cause, more cause church, more money, wor- money, for money. them, the world is so black and white. So black and white. Yeah. You're either for God or against him. Black, white. And when you start chipping away at your fear and lessening that, the world kind of gets a little more gray. And then you're like, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we've bumped into this problem before, right? Whenever we talk to Soji One Two Three, it's always the same thing, right? Remember Doctor Dran saying, you know, it's the religion that brings the culture of you, man or woman. You, that's it, black and white, you know. Yep. Dichotomy, and that's it, right? No matter what it is. So it's anyway, we can go on and on on this. <laughs> well, thank you so much, ladies. So let's take a pause, and when we come back, we'll be with singer songwriter Shelly Siegel. Oh boy! Woo-hoo, so stay with us. And I think it should be religion treated with ridicule and hatred and contempt. And I claim that right. In the morning. Hi, everybody. This is Robert Stanley from the Right to Reason podcast. And if you subscribe now, you'll get free. Learn more about the broadcast at therighttoreason.com. I'm the Supreme Irreverend Dr. Randy Tyson from the Legion of Reason Diversion. Join me and my co-hosts, Christine Shelska, Twyla, and Nate Phelps, as we explore issues at the intersection of atheism, humanism, and skepticism. Topics range from alternative medicine to the interference of religion in public policy. We often have special guests to help us understand the topic du jour. Previous guests include biologist Jerry Coyne, ex-Muslim author Ali Rizvi, philosopher Peter Bogosian, and the late physicist Victor Stanger. You can watch us on the Legion of Reason YouTube channel or subscribe to the audio version through your favorite podcatchers such as iTunes or Stitcher. And don't forget to like the Legion of Reason Facebook page. Well, joining us online is Shelly Seagull. She, her voice has now become the stuff of legend amongst atheists. <laughs> she is a snappy dresser and a snazzy dancer. Shelly, thank you so much for joining us at Left of the Valley. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. First of all, I've got to say, you know, I have to admire you're so smart, so talented, so beautiful. I mean, I have this total crush on you right now. <laughs> Oh my god. Way to make her uncomfortable, Kevin. (laughs) (laughs) 
Shelly, although you're very well known in the I'm not going to be able to leave. Shelly, although you're very well known in the atheist circles, you might not be as well known in those, uh, other parts of our audience. Would you be so kind to maybe give us a quick bio of who you are? Sure. Uh, so my name is Shelly Siegel. I am a singer, songwriter, guitar player, and uh, yeah, I, I write about I write about what matters to me, and I try and uh, and you know share the way I see the world through music, and that's basically what I do full time. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. And your songs have already made uh, quite the tour in a lot of places. We'll be talking about uh, three of your favorite songs a bit later on. Um, <laughs> Shelly, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we actually had a, an interview with an, uh, another artist, uh, Rebecca Fox, and uh, we, were, we were lamenting, I was lamenting anyway, the fact that we don't seem to have a lot of artists in the atheist movement. What are your thoughts about that? Um, well, I think it's hard. It's, it's sort of a hard topic to talk about sometimes in, in, in music. You know, a song, it's not like a novel or uh, like a lecture, you know, you've only got three minutes to sort of make a point. And so it's, it's, it's not an easy thing to sort of talk about. Um, and I don't know, also, you know, it can be, can be a bit of backlash. And I think a lot of artists, a lot of um, people listen to music or create music for different reasons. Some people, when they hear music, they want to, um, you know, they just want to, dance or escape or forget about what's going on in their lives and then some people like to listen to music you know because they want to think or they want to be challenged they want to focus on the words some people like both I actually like music for both of those reasons but I think you know it's a very specific thing to talk about um you know secular values or to challenge religion in song and I think a lot as as hard as it is that I've mentioned there's still a lot of artists that do approach that topic and that do talk about it um, and I think we're going to see more and more of that, or we are seeing more and more of that, especially, um, you know, with the atheist community online and communities being able to sort of, you know, um, share the work of artists that they like that do broach those subjects. Hmm. So, so, so you, you came out of your, I guess we could probably call you one of the pioneers, uh, of, of the genre, if, uh, it's Hopefully, we'll take off later on. So, what's your story? Did you come out of? Uh, what, what, do you have a story of apostasy yourself, or were you always an atheist? Um. Yeah. So I grew up in a religious family. I grew up in a traditionally Jewish family, so we were sort of moderately observant. Um, and we, you know, kept the dietary laws. I went to a Jewish school. It was a really big part of my life, and. Uh, then my family went to synagogue every week, and the synagogue that we attended was a bit more. Um, it was author. It was an Orthodox synagogue, so it was more observant than we were at home. And uh, yeah, it was just it was a really big part of my life and my identity and my family's identity. Uh, as I said, I went to Jewish school, so I grew up in this religious community, and I was very trusting. And I was, um, you know, I didn't see any any reason to challenge anything, and I I, I really sort of absorbed it and, uh, and loved it and, and was a big part of my life, as I said. And then uh, when I was 16, I was studying biology. <laughs> yeah, biology, and um, I learned about evolution. And I was 
that was sort of the first time that I thought about the fact that maybe the Bible isn't literally true. And uh, it was, um, yeah, I guess the start of questioning, probably about three three years of questioning and, um, you know, a- a- assessing my beliefs and understanding that, you know, there was something to challenge and even understanding the fact that I had a religious worldview. You know, you think, okay, I'm, I'm Jewish and I believe in a God and, and you have certain beliefs, but you don't realize that your entire worldview is religious and there's not, the, you know, there's so many different parts to question and challenge. And so that took a long time. I think um, by the time I was 19 or 20, no, by the time I was 20, so about four years, um, I identified as an atheist. And a big part of that as well was traveling. I was uh, very lucky to get to travel um, and go backpacking in Europe. And I sort of met, you know, a lot of different people that had a lot of different ideas about the way the world worked and when you you know see worldview after worldview after worldview you realize all of them are um, you know deserving of criticism and you sort of see your own upbringing and worldview in a context and uh, and you're able to, to criticize and assess yours um, yeah in a better way mm-hmm. and and that's when I became an atheist and it was such a it was such a huge part of my life and I think for you know so many people that go through this massive change uh mm. it it was at the forefront of all my conversations and all of my thoughts and and experiences and i was sort of forging this new forming this new worldview and um you know i wanted to have good reasons for what i believed i wanted to understand um you know what was wrong and what was right and why and i was sort of dealing with my own mortality for the first time and coming to terms with you know there's no heaven i'm not going to see my family again and so it was just very very intense time and for me I've always uh, written about you know what I'm going through M- music and songwriting has always been a catharsis and a release and an expression for me and so I just did what I naturally do when something's intense in my life and I I wrote about it and then I had I had about three songs that I'd written that sort of matched this this theme this overarching theme of, of atheism or free thinking non-belief uh, and also of leaving, and um, and so I thought, oh, how cool to have like a whole album that talks about all my views mm-hmm. uh, on all my thoughts on this and this experience. So, so I made oh, my first album, which is called an atheist album. <laughs> nice. Um, so some of the music on your first album is it music that you wrote while you were transitioning into atheism? Yeah, I would say it was all. I would say it was all after. So I oh, mean, okay. you know, with the transitioning. So, but I, yeah, I w- I identified as an atheist, and I yeah, I didn't believe anymore, and I was dealing with, I guess, the aftermath of that. That mm-hmm. was all the songs written during that aftermath. So, sort of, you know, looking back and reflecting and uh, thinking about how you're going to move forward and thinking about what are my new values in life. Yeah. It's amazing what a little education and a little life experience will, pardon my, the, 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 the wording here, will fuck up your beliefs. <laughs> That's it. And how, but how empowering it is. You know, Definitely. Was, while it was, you know, a very challenging time, it was also incredibly empowering because, you, you know, you have to take responsibility for yourself and uh, your own decisions and your own knowledge. And it was just, yeah, it was a really amazing time. Mm-hmm. Was it around that time that you... Uh, uh, did you also move from Australia at that point, or, or was it way before that? Oh, I've, I've, um, 
I've only been in the U.S. now for two years. Uh, so like when I released an atheist album. <laughs> you pick perfect timing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know, just before the election, I did not see that. <laughs> you, you know, you should have just kept going and come here to Canada. We're way better. <laughs> We're way closer to what Australia was anyway. I mean. <laughs> I know, right. And we have, it, it's like, uh, it's like America, but with all of the correct measurements, you know. <laughs> <laughs> You can actually tell the temperature outside. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Exactly. You know, the hardest thing about going, for, and I'm sure you experienced this too, talking to Americans, the hardest thing about going from Celsius to Fahrenheit is you lose the ability to make small talk about the weather. Oh, I know, right? Because <laughs> it's supposed to be this easy thing that everyone can talk about. Oh, how, you know, what is it? Where does it get to where you live? And what about here? And you're just like, oh, what does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> My conversion chart. Where's my conversion chart? Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're like, it was 90 degrees. I'm like, so you were dead? Oh, <laughs> uh, all right. Continue on. So um, after your your Atheist album in 2013, you released one called Little March. Yes. Um, that was, yeah, that was a really amazing experience. I, um, I hadn't really done any co-writing before because, you know, I, I usually write. I write all my songs myself. Um, I, I did one sort of collaborative thing before that where I did a song like a, you know, I was a feature artist with a, um, a DJ called Carl Cox. So that was, you know, an, a unique experience where I got to sort of write with producers and, and then be part of someone else's project. But um, I hadn't really collaborated with someone bef- with another artist before, um, you know, to create like a joint project together like that. And uh, so Little March I wrote with uh, singer-songwriter and guitarist Adam Levy. Mm-hmm. And he's a bit of a legend here. He's um, you know jazz Americana artist, but he also played guitar for Tracy Chapman oh. and Nora Jones. So everyone heard his playing, you know, Tim playing on Don't Know Why and Give Me One Reason. Yes. And I was so excited I got a chance to, you know, work with him. We spent uh, three or four days together, holed up in a little comfort in <laughs> room, talking about life, talking about our experiences, and and writing together. And we wrote this record, uh, yeah, in in a week. How much drugs and- were involved in that? Oh my gosh! <laughs> Sorry. How much drugs were involved in that? <laughs> for three, four days. <laughs> Absolutely none. <laughs> of course. <laughs> When you're high on life, you don't need drugs. That's right. I mean, you know, I think it depends on the kind of music that you're making. Sometimes, you know, being in a different state of consciousness is good for, can be good for your creativity. But um, for us, you know, we were working and we were just, we were just um, nutting them out and it felt really, really easy. Hmm. And um, I mean, at first I was so nervous because I hadn't really written with someone like that. And, (laughs) uh, and also I was, uh, you know, really excited to work with Adam because he's incredible, but also he's worked with Arnie DeFranco, who's one of my biggest heroes and inspirations, and he just played on her last album. And so, you know, I was really nervous, but Adam made me feel really at ease, and we wrote these beautiful sort of jazzy, bluesy, folksy songs. Nice. And, uh, yeah, and so that was my, my second album, Little March, and we, uh, we recorded it in downtown LA with uh, Adam's friend Husky, who's like a Grammy award-winning producer. And we had my dad come and play violin on one of the tunes. We had a double Aww. bass player, Kaveh, 
come in and play on a couple of the tunes. But other than that, it was like just just the two of us. And it was really nice to release something that sort of contrasted with my first record because an atheist album was a big, like a full band record. And then, you know, I followed it up with something sort of stripped back and acoustic, which mm-hmm. is a lot more like my live shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, it was just nice to have two completely different records that showcase you know, different parts of me. And then in 2014, you release An Easy Escape, and in 2015, Strange Feelings. You're, you're, busy, you're pretty busy out there. <laughs> yes, yes, I am. I uh, All my favorite artists uh, you know, are really prolific, and they release records every year. Like Arnie DeFranco, I've got like, you know, 25 of her, 20 of her records, and uh, another artist I really like, Mark Kozilek. I think he's released like five records since mm. I moved to the US. <laughs> Like, what is everybody else doing with their life? <laughs> um, so yeah, I like to I like to release music every year uh, as much as I can. I just dropped a new record actually last month on my Patreon, which is like a subscription service. Yeah. So I just dropped a new EP there. I've also done an album of jazz standards with um, Dan Barker. I don't know if you guys are familiar yes, with Dan Barker with from Dan. the Freedom from Religion Foundation. Uh, which is which was really fun, just him and me on the piano. So yeah, I'm really, I really want to get, you know, a big output out there. I I write a lot more music than I release, and the the whole process of, um, you know, writing to to releasing is very long. You you might write a song, and then by the time you have, uh, you know, a big collection of songs to choose from, then you go in and record, and you have to do the mixing and the. Um, planning for the release and do a, you know, a, a, a marketing plan. And so sometimes it can be like two years between or more between when you write a song and when it actually gets to your audience, which, um, you know, which is a, it's a long time. And so I try and release material as often as I can. And then mm-hmm. also, as I said, I've been doing this new subscription service where now I'm, I'm, um, I'm just putting up music every week. Wow. And so it's wow. sort of, you know, getting around that whole uh, release timeline, which I, I'm still doing, but now I write a song, I can record it in my bedroom, uh, in my home studio, and put it up online for my subscribers like straight away. So that's been really cool. Fantastic. Nice. Shelly, you might not yeah. know something here, but you, since you're, you're Jewish, you, you might actually know this. Nancy here is actually the original wandering <laughs> Jew of oh Legend. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> And I thought, you know, she might become an inspiration for one of your albums. And she's available, right? Oh, God. It's, it's, Shelly, don't ever be the oldest person in any room that you're in. <laughs> and, and, unless you want to be a constant source of, of laughter and, and uh, at, no, your, at your own expense. We love That's you, Nancy. <laughs> Nancy, I, f- I feel like that sentence needs to be just like ended with the words with Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. Be the with Kevin. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Why am I getting this abuse? <laughs> I'm sure, I think you like it. <laughs> yeah, I'll take it. It's my birthday today. I'll take it. <laughs> Birthday, did you say what? <laughs> so yeah. it's my birthday today. I'll take it from you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, happy birthday! Well, thank you, thank you. Ah, oh, that's lovely. Um, so Nancy, so you you came from a Jewish background as well? She was talking to you. She said you. you yeah, came no, from... no, I didn't hear. Her. Can you repeat the question, please? 
Did you come from a Jewish background as well, Ned? Oh, yeah, I, I did. I mostly reform. Um, when the grandparents passed away, there was very little in terms of observance, but really good mm -hmm. secular Jews in terms of identifying and having the history and, and being mm -hmm. proud of it. But uh, we really uh, didn't have uh, a lot of you're... religion in the family. So it, I, I feel as though, though I was an atheist from the beginning because I really didn't have any, or the family after the grandparents That's died. because her, her grandparents were the original guardians of the temple. <laughs> I know. If you want to know yeah. my birthday, just whenever the Jewish calendar started, that was me. I, 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 I filled it. I started with the, with my birthday and went, went, from, went from there. So being an atheist wasn't really a, um, a journey like it was for you. It was just always, I've, I've never, never had any, any you know, religious you know beliefs whatsoever mm -hmm. yeah yeah i know there's there's a lot of quite a lot of secular jews and um yeah the 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 degrees of observance is is is, is really large like there's, there's so many different um so many different ways to be to be jewish and i think a lot of people sort of don't because because the the Judaism that they know is a more secular Judaism because that those are the Jews probably that they've met or you know connected with or um, you know seen it in 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 movies and you know, actors and um, I've, I've definitely found that Jewish culture is sort of more understood hmm. in America than in Australia. It's more part of it feels more understood by the wider wider community in America than than Australia for sure in my experience, but. Um, yeah, I think that the Judaism that most people are familiar with is, is more secular, and the more sort of orthodox communities are, are more insular, and mm -hmm. um, and 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 so most people don't have an impression of uh, of Judaism being quite extreme or uh, being very oppressive because mm -hmm. it's not you know it's not part of their understanding. But uh, and again, I I would say I only had a moderately observant life between, you know, ref sort of a reform or liberal level of observance at home, moving to the, the orthodox synagogue. Mm -hmm. And even when I tell people about, you know, the, at the synagogue, I wasn't allowed to sing because I'm I'm a woman. I wasn't allowed to lead the service. That's their prayer, Like my father or my brother. And, you know, the women have, we have the gender segregation and women have to sit separately. And, yeah, it's like people don't, people don't understand that or they're not familiar with that because it's not part of their narrative of, you know, sort of secular Jews that they that they know and love. Mm -hmm. hmm. Interesting. Uh, Shelley, this is, uh, for our audience, we'll, uh, we, we selected, you selected three songs that we'll actually play for our audience. Uh, and the first one is Saved. And then we're going to play that in a second. But this is the song that are currently they are currently using as a theme song for the Atheist Experience. Yes, they are, uh, which is really cool. I used to watch that show a lot, you know, especially during the, that period where I was transi transitioning and <laughs> where I, I remember spending all night talking to my brother or used to argue with my brother and we would watch, uh, you know, the atheist experience. It was a really big part of our lives back then. And so it was so cool to, to have the song be, be part of the show. And yeah, this song is probably the angriest song. Oh, one of <laughs> the angriest song on my on my record. Um, and I wrote it after I was talking to a preacher in the street, and he was 
handing out pamphlets and we started talking and he told me that I was going to hell. Like he was not too aggressive. He was being nice. Like we sort of got into it, you know, but um, well, nice in tone anyway, if not in content and telling me that I was, I was going to hell. And I just, you know, I just felt really angry that someone would come into my life and my world and my space and tell me how I should live my life and tell me, you know, put their morality onto me when they don't even know if it's true. They don't have any evidence that it's true. I'm sure, you know, he, he felt that he did, but from, you know, where I'd come from in my whole journey, it was like, you can't know that and you're you're coming into my world and forcing it onto me. And so I went home like straight away. I was really worked up and I wrote this song and, yeah, that's what it says. It says, I, I won't be told how to live my life. And it's also asking a lot of questions. Um, most of the verses are phrased as questions, and it's saying, you know, how do you know what you say? You know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let's play that. Let's play Saved here by Shelley Siegel, and we'll be right back. Suffering is part of some great planet's 
Never questioning the source from which your moral core derives. You think that suffering is part of some great plan that's been devised. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder what will it take for you to start over. And there was what a fantastic song! Oh yeah. You know it, that that song as soon as soon as I listened to it, it kind of the first, one of the first things that reminds me is uh, Canadian uh, artist Alanis Morissette. You oh know? my god, I love Alanis. Yes, that <laughs> an, that angry rocker girl. And I said, you know, this is so much like that. You know, oh you, my, it, oh, that's so cool. Yeah, that, that's great. <laughs> So I, anyway, so 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 you went and you talked to a priest, like you said earlier, and you you decided to write this down. You just went on a complete rant, and then it became a hit. Now, please tell me, whenever you talk to your brother, you rub that in his face now, because now the song <laughs> is the theme song of the atheist experience. That's like a huge win. It's like bam, Shelley won. Brothers, nothing. No, no, no. <laughs> My brother is. Uh, I shouldn't speak for him, but I would say. He's not religious anymore. Oh, so she does he double win right there? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this song was sort of the first song that really got traction for me here in the U.S. And after I released the song, I I got to um, sing at the Reason Rally back in 2012. Mm-hmm. It's this big, um, you know, free thinking secular atheist uh, rally. In, uh, in Washington, D.C., on the National Mall, and there was 30,000 people there. It was just an incredible, incredible event. It was so cool to sing about, you know, mm. these topics that are so important to me and know that everyone there felt the same way and, yeah. um, and was there for similar reasons. It definitely touches on so much of the frustration and anger that atheists can have and that we don't really have a lot of outlets for mm-hmm. and yeah. with music it it can help you realize sometimes things that you didn't even realize you were feeling and and give it that outlet for expression mm-hmm. that's that that a lot of other people have in mainstream media and mainstream music but has never really been expressed for atheists before yeah yeah i mean that's what i love about music when you hear a song that, you know, sort of, well, challenges the way that you think or changes the way that you think or gives words or expression to a feeling that you have or an understanding that you have inside but, yeah, maybe haven't expressed before um, and it it, it makes you feel understood and affirmed and Mm -hmm. empowered. It's like the most amazing experience ever. That's what, you know, sort of really grabbed my attention since I was a kid, that that's what it, when I like 
the first album that sort of blew my yeah. mind was Jagged Little Pill. <laughs> I was like, oh, she's singing about something that matters and there's a rage here and there are different emotions than the usual gamut of, you know, what you hear on maybe commercial radio or what I heard. My dad used to give me like Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston <laughs> tapes and Taylor Dane. It was beautiful and it expressed, you know, a lot of different emotions. But this was like really, really powerful. And when you get that sort of, when you when you see yourself with your worldview reflected back at you through music, it's, yeah, it's really, it's really incredible experience. And some people sort of criticize me by saying, oh, you're, you're just preaching to the choir. You know, you're singing this stuff. People already agree you're not changing anyone's mind. Well, I don't know about that because I've definitely, you know, had my mind changed by listening to, listening to music or my perspective sort of broadened. Um, but I I don't think there's anything. I don't think it's preaching to the choir. I think it's a Kim Kim Dawson lyric, but I think it's singing with the choir. Yes. You're sort of singing on, on behalf of you know, the people that feel this way and you're expressing this sentiment and then people can sing along and that's, that's empowering. It's exactly what we were discussing just before you came on, saying, you know, in the atheist movement, you have all the stats, all the numbers, all the math and the science that you want, but that's kind of a dry thing. It, it takes artists like yourself to actually bring out the emotional side of things, how people feel and how they react. And you're doing a great service, I think, to Mm -hmm. the population by expressing this. And I think that's one of the reasons why people are uh, attracted to the songs right away because it's like, yeah, you you can reason all day long, but you can't express the anger that an atheist might have. And you've done that through your songs. Oh, thank you. Thanks a lot. That really means a lot. Yeah. Cool. So let's move on to uh, uh, song number two, which you call Apocalyptic Love Song. I love this one. (laughs) (laughs) Now, what was the genesis for that song? Well, um, it was, it's dedicated to Christopher Hitchens. Oh, there we go. (laughs) Inspiration to me and so many people. And I think, you know, like you, like we were saying before, when you hear somebody that, that says, that puts into words how you feel, let alone so as eloquently as he did, um, you know, it can really be empowering and emboldening. And I felt when I, I watched Christopher that, you know, I felt more that I had the courage to, to talk about these things. You know, I'm not a confrontational person, despite what, you know, some of my angrier songs may uh, imply. I don't like hurting people's feelings. I don't like, uh, you know, arguments. I, I sort of, you know, used to really shy away from confrontation and I found it really hard to talk about these things. Uh, but seeing him and listening to him really, really helped me to get over that and um, and feel that I had the strength and the right to talk about what I really believe. And, um, and so the song is sort of made up by uh, a, a lot of different ideas that I... I from his different talks and um, and writings uh, about you know the, the universe is not um, a place that's conducive to life. It's not a place that cares about us. And um, you know w- when I had that change of worldview where I thought, okay, there's not somebody there looking after me. I don't get to live forever. I don't get to see my family and friends again all that I have is this moment and some people sort of find that as depressed you know depressing and they they sort of charge against atheists like how do you get 
out of bed in the morning? How do you have any meaning in your life without God, without a plan? And this song in the chorus to me sums up like my answer to that, which is it's not going to last forever and it doesn't mean anything, but it feels like it does. Mm. And that's enough. And that that's more than enough. And it's my relationship with my friends and the people I love and, mm. and, and myself and this moment that's so beautiful and so meaningful that that's, and that's enough for me. I don't need it. Christopher Hitchens was so eloquent as an orator that, you know, he was a man that could tell you to go to hell and give you directions <laughs> how to get there, and you would thank him. <laughs> because he was just that good, you know? And, you know, I, I, I'm totally on the same page as you are right now, Shelley. Uh, I totally understand your admiration for the man. So, right now, let's play Apocalyptic Luck Song for our audience by Shelley Seal. We'll be right back. One day the sun is going to die For us it means no more sunsets To the universe just one less star in the sky And almost all who ever lived have already died Countless stories of love and war and hope and pain now Silent place side by side Yes, I understand that my whole life is just a blink of an eye In the history of the earth It's with each moment that goes by But this moment that I am with you It feels like time has stood still It feels somehow like it matters But it always will In one billion years will dry while somehow life may continue it will not be known to you and I to think we are so important is an obvious crime we know that we are specks on a tiny dot Apocalyptic Love Song 
I love. I just love like the the first line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the sun's gonna die. It's like, oh wow, like, there yep, we go. <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's a. Uh, it's. Uh, I. I was not aware that was uh, that Christopher Hitchens was your inspiration for that song, and it's a. It's a pleasant surprise, and you. Uh, I listen to mm-hmm. it a bit differently now, that I, I've heard that. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So our third song we're going to be talking about today is I Don't Believe in Fairies. Yeah. Now, you've never been to Iceland, obviously. (laughs) In Iceland, they still believe in fairies. (laughs) You've just murdered Tinkerbell. How could you? (laughs) I know. (laughs) Um, This song I wrote uh, when I was um, living on my own, and I heard this sort of spooky noise outside my door. And I, I wasn't afraid. I, I, I just thought, you know, it's a noise. But when I was younger and I realized that, you know, the way I thought about the world had changed because there had been a time where I would have been afraid or I would have thought, you know, maybe it's a ghost or maybe it's, you know, some sort of mm-hmm. imaginary creature. And I just sort of, you know, again, I was past this time where I sort of examined my worldview and beliefs and I was actually reading Sam Harris's Band of Faith that I, um, you know, sort of, <laughs> I'd already, I was already an atheist, I already didn't believe in God, but I sort of still had these beliefs about heaven and souls and spirits. Mm-hmm. So I hadn't really examined everything properly, I think, and you, like I said before, when you have a religious worldview, you don't necessarily understand that all the parts of it are religious. Yes. Uh, and so... You know, it's sort of gotten over um, the idea of any sort of supernatural, spiritual kind of creatures. And so I was sitting here in my room realizing, wow, I've had this new worldview. I've examined my beliefs. I don't believe in these things anymore. And now I'm not afraid. Like there was some sort of stimulus that, that in the past would have made me afraid. But my deeper knowledge of the world and my deeper understanding has freed me from having to be afraid. And it, it was great. And it was a really cool realization. And at the same time, I also realized that that sort of um, was analogous to, in a way, to losing my faith and, and actually not believing in God anymore because um, I, I, I didn't, um, I didn't believe, I didn't believe anymore. And so I, I had to take that responsibility for myself. And so Again, this like deeper understanding of the world and this change in my beliefs and what I thought was real and what I thought was imaginary had empowered me in some way. So I don't need to be afraid. I can depend on myself. And it was really um, a really powerful sort of epiphany. And that's when I, I started writing this song. And it was so cool to see, to think of those these two um, concepts like ghosts or goblins or something sort of you know, maybe we think of them as being, um, you know, childlike fears. You know, kids are afraid of boogeymen or afraid of the dark or afraid of these sort of, you know, imaginary creatures. Um, and so I was comparing this, like, really high and mighty God concept that I'd believed in um, with something really with childlike, like fairies or goblins or other imaginary mm-hmm. creatures. Mm-hmm. And so that was really empowering as well and and so that you know the song sort of sums up all of those feelings and realizations and and the chorus is again this resounding sort of you know i don't need to be afraid of imaginary things uh and when i'm in a in a tough situation when i'm in the dark um i know there's no one else there that can help me it's just me and what i have to 
deal with. Hmm. Now, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't believe in fairies either, but I kind of regret that. I kind of wish they did exist because I find that they'd be great at trying to find stuff. You know, I've, mis- I've misplaced my keys. No, that's the fairies a could find it. <laughs> oh, she had to put a Harry Potter reference in there. Of course. <laughs> yeah, you might not know Christine is a huge Harry Potter fan and she infects every show with a Harry Potter quote here. I just remember you last. Yeah. <laughs> I make the show better. Come with Christina, not necessarily left of the valley. All right, so let's listen in for our audience to "I Don't Believe in Fairies" by Shelley Seal. Thank you. 
that was I Don't Believe in Fairies. Another very, very interesting song. <laughs> it, it is, and, and there's, a, there's a sweetness to that. There's some minor key, but there's such a sweetness to that that even if you, you don't listen to the which are important, I mean, the lyrics are the song, but there's just a sweetness that carries, car- that just carried me along. That's the entire it, impression just, I get of Shelley to begin with. Yeah. She's like the sweetest thing, <laughs> yeah. but if she gets angry, she will slash your throat and look at you as you die. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to mess with her. No, but, but with a sweet look on her well, face. Yeah, yeah, yeah but, she's but totally smile, sweet. Right? Exactly. The, the yeah, Dr. Right. Jekyll side of Shelley would just... <laughs> Destroy you. But there is, there's just the, there's, there's of, the gentle. All yeah. these songs, right? Because you're, you know, I'm singing, I think, beautiful melodies. And I've got, mm-hmm. you know, a pretty voice. And you do. have got yeah. these engaging, interesting chords. And so you, you know, you've got all these musical elements that are beautiful and engaging. And so you're sort of drawing people in with, with that side of things, the, you know, the pleasant aesthetic um, side of things. And then you're hitting them with this message. And I think. People are a lot more um, able to absorb a message or an idea through a song rather than a discussion. Like Definitely. you know, mm-hmm. I could I could talk about this stuff till I'm blue in the face with people. They're not going to listen. They're not necessarily going to listen. They're not necessarily going to consider. They're not going to let me talk for four minutes. Where like you know, like I can in a song where I can literally. For four minutes, say this is what I think. This is what happened yeah. to me. Yeah, it does. It just all it, it all the aesthetics and the message all no, came in, together just beautifully with that. She's showing. entirely yeah. correct. Yes. If we if we have a discussion Thank with a person, people don't listen to you unless you're some kind of expert. But when you're listening through a song, it's just a person's experience oh. or whatever they're their pain, and then we just automatically absorb it. And, and, I think that'd be yeah. great. and music well, it, music does it touches a different part of your your person than like a debate or a discussion you yeah. when listening to music you let down your guard be- yeah because you you feel it and there's nothing really to guard against you're listening yeah. to yeah. a song you're listening to a tune you're listening to and, and whatever. when you're listening to music know, you ever, you ever receive a tuba to the well, face but you you can feel <laughs> where the musician is coming from and a lot of people find it hard to to look at another person's point of view, especially in a debate or mm-hmm. or a discussion with someone they don't agree with. But mm-hmm. listening to music, you can't help but feel what the other what the person's singing about and understand it to a level that just in a discussion you can't reach. Mm-hmm. And it's it's good to understand people, even that even that you disagree. Then on the other foot, like you know, I'm I. I'm not interested in listening to preaching or, <laughs> you know, sort of yeah. listening to people talk about their belief necessarily. Like, obviously, it's a friend or someone I love. Like, you know, I really care about their experience. Now, I'll, I'll listen. But, you know, I'm not interested in hearing about that stuff. But then, you know, sometimes I hear religious music, or, or you know, and it's mm-hmm. so beautiful. One of my favorite artists is Ben Harper. And, he, you know, some of his music is really, you know, sort of worshipping. And I, I don't care, like... When I listen to it and I feel his real emotions and I feel, um, you know, what he has to say and his passion, it's so beautiful that I still can take what I can take out of it. You know, I can feel uplifted in some way or moved Mm -hmm. in some way. And so, yeah, I think music is a medium that is able to sort of bring us together in our our understanding despite, um, you know, what... Our, our differing beliefs and I sort of hope that in the same way with my stuff where people that are religious um, and may not agree with me at least they can listen to the music and maybe feel that they understand that worldview better and mm-hmm. that it's less um, 
it's more normalized and it's less sort of intimidating or scary or evil or, you know, sort of dispels some of the way that that they'd picture an atheist worldview before. Some of my religious friends, is one, of, uh, one of them says, oh, um, you're spiritual despite yourself. Oh, <laughs> so my gosh. I, I agree with that. But, you know, I know that she listens to that music and she derives some kind of meaning from it and that is so important to me, you know, sort of crossing those, mm-hmm. those borders. No, I, I totally understand your point. I think you can uh, make that same uh, point for uh, uh, the late uh, Leonard Cohen. Mm-hmm. The song Hallelujah oh, that everybody loves, right? Love and, that song. And it's totally a religious song in many ways, but when you listen to it, you can't help but love it anyway. Mm-hmm. But don't worry about it, uh, Shelly. Uh, you should tell your friends too that you know uh, everybody knows that all the best bands in the world are affiliated with the devil. Of course. So, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus ain't no rock star. <laughs> <laughs> Shelly, what's next for you? Where are you going? If you, this is your chance to plug yourself, be as shameless as you want. If people want to talk to you, you want to buy your albums, where can they find them? <laughs> okay, cool. So um, I have my website, ShellySiegel.com, where you can um, grab all my albums digitally or physically. Um, I also have, you know, my music is available for streaming on Spotify and Pandora, any streaming service. It's also available on any digital sort of music store like iTunes, Amazon. Um, the best one if you like supporting independent music is Bandcamp they take a much smaller percentage. Okay. But the best and coolest new way that you can sort of um, follow what I'm doing and get all of my music is to become my Patreon, which is a subscription service that I'm part of, patreon.com slash Shelly Siegel. And I put up new music every single week. And uh, it's $1 a month. $1 oh, wow, a month. that's you awesome. Get four songs every week. You also, I'm sorry, four songs a month. You also get um, access to my all my album releases. You can, you know, kind of scroll down through the old content and download, you know, all the music I've been putting up on that for the last two years. And, um, yeah, it also gives you access to a Patreon-only group on Facebook where I sort of post behind-the-scenes stuff and little jam sessions that I do with my friends and, and all different kind of stuff so that's a really cool thing that I'm working on at the moment you you also play an instrument I'm assuming oh yeah I play guitar oh there we go yeah. how could you not love her right <laughs> Shelly we love you dear and uh, like I said feel free to come back as uh, as often as you want on the show you have friends north I'll of the 49th thank you and I'm hoping hoping I'll get to come and see you guys mm-hmm. and I'm hoping to go to Canada and, and escape America. <laughs> Sorry? I said, and escape America. <laughs> and escape America. And get to talk to people about the weather. I'm very oh, excited. No. <laughs> <laughs> we should just book a tour to Australia and you could be our guide. No, oh, never. Uh, it's too hot. No. No, thank, thanks, uh-uh. Shelly. Stay behind I'm, that. I'm yeah, thanks, Shelly. Right so yes. I don't, I don't, I don't do right anything now. above 25 degrees. Yeah, thank, <laughs> thanks so that. much for, for taking the time to be with us and explaining so much of who you are and where you come from and what your beliefs are. It's just it's just been wonderful. We hope you come back. Yes. Yes. And, and Shelly. I, I really appreciate the chance to... Um, yeah, to share my music with people. I, I really thank you for that. Absolutely. And Shelly, before I let you go, i, I got to have you say, Hi, I'm Shelly Siegel, and I took a left of the valley. Hi, I'm Shelly Siegel, and I took a left of the valley. And that was the incredible Shelly Siegel. Wasn't that a delight? She's yes. delightful. Oh. Are you kidding? Oh. I'm about to ask her to marry me, I think. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm Good just thing kidding. I stopped you. 
<laughs> your girlfriend might have yeah, issues. She, she's going to have an issue. She's going to hear this. And say, what? What? She's going to wait for me with something here. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so, yeah, she's such a fantastic artist. I mean, you know, it's it's improbable in a way, although, you know, having grown up with Joan Baez and, and, and people like that, but the ability to blend that philosophical, secular outlook with beautiful music that affects you emotionally and it's like Christina said you let your guard down mm -hmm. you know and you can let those ideas in and you don't even realize you know the, what, what's happening because you're so and, totally engaged and, and you might be able to understand something that you otherwise wouldn't have absolutely yeah, yeah exactly. she's uh, she's she's really She's really quite a quite a woman. Yeah, so yeah, go ahead and, uh, and help her. You know, she's uh, she's she's totally an artist worth following. Yes, and, uh, she's just a fantastic woman. Yes, she is. Yes. All right, thank you and so a much. Nice woman. I yes. Mean, yeah. Really. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today, guys. And uh, you can follow us at leftofvalley.com. You can follow us on Facebook, on uh, on uh, Twitter, at LETV Podcast. Send us an email, leftadvalley at outlook.com. Send your complaints to Nancy on the third floor. Absolutely. Coming up next week, we'll be talking to Crystal Child, Jessica Schwab. That'll be interesting. Should be a good show. And we'll, on the 21st, we'll be talking to Hector Garcia and the psychology of religious oppression. Yeah, looking forward to that one. I'm looking forward yeah. to all these shows. And at the end of the month, we'll be talking to Dr. Ben Davis and nuclear power. We're going to try to dispel some of the myths about nuclear power, because I've got some good questions about that, too. And in May, we'll be talking to John Wathy and the illusion of God's presence. That's going to be cool. we got some great shows coming up. I love that title, it's like The Illusion of God's, God's presence. presence. I know, I know. It's going to be very interesting. This yeah. one was actually recommended by our old friend Christopher DiCarlo. Oh, okay. Exactly. So, mm -hmm. thank you so much, guys. You know what? I'm not, I'm not going to play this song as usual. We're just going to scratch that, you know. No. We're just going to play one, one more of Shelly Seagulls and leave oh, you guys with yeah. that. So, we'll play Someone, no, sorry, Somebody Like You, which is her latest song for our audience. Thank you so much, Shelly. Thank you so much to our audience out there. Enjoy. Enjoy.